And I do think that it's a remarkable, faithful, beautiful adaptation. And then, of course, it stars David Soule. And, is that Starsky and or I don't Hutch? know any, any Starsky and Hutch fans from when they were kids? Yeah, just me. Thank you, sir. This is the film that introduced that idea into vampire lore, which obviously just became accepted lore. I mean, that's how you kill vampires in any number of movies. And welcome, everyone, to the special edition of Fright Club at the Bexley Public Library. We're so glad to be here for the 100th anniversary celebration of the film Nosferatu with live accompaniment by the Alex Burgoyne Quartet. This is going to be fantastic. So glad to have them here. Yeah, let them hear it. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com and Columbus Underground and Good Day Columbus. And uh, once a month, we host this Fright Club podcast at the Gateway. We're going to do a sort of a scaled down version of that uh, as about a half an hour or so as we get ready for this really tremendous marriage of sight and sound. Yeah, we're, we're super thrilled to have been asked to do this today. And I want to point out to you that if you haven't had your picture taken, George doesn't count by an official Bexley Library uh, employee out with the glorious uh, Nosferatu out front. You need to go do that so you can participate in the costume contest. Again, George's photos do not count. Man, do you have to repeat it? Do you want to repeat it again? <laughs> uh, and by the way, the prize tonight is some movie passes to the Drexel, yeah. which is very cool. So yeah, and if you haven't seen the, the statue Nosferatu out there, I don't know where you got that. That's awesome. It is awesome. Uh, so be sure to get your picture and... Uh, Pictures will be judged while the movie's going on, and we'll announce after. So, And thanks to everybody that dressed up. This is fun. So we're just going to run down a few well-known movies and other pop culture items that have been influenced by this incredible film. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, this was really the first of its kind. And it, you know, it was illegally made. Murnau didn't think that he needed to get uh, anybody's approval to make the film. He didn't think that he was infringing on copyright because he changed some names, he dropped some characters. He was wrong. Uh, he was sued. And Prada, the distributor that made the, com that made the film, went out of business. It was the one and only movie that it ever made because the court ordered all copies, all prints destroyed. But they had already shipped a handful of prints to the U.S., and those were the ones that were salvaged, and that is undoubtedly where the print that we're going to watch was made from. And it went on to just really inspire pop culture, and in particular, horror films forever. And, and outside of horror, we're mainly going to talk about horror, but I love one of my favorite things about the second Tim Burton Batman movie is that Christopher Walken's character is named Max Shrek, who's, of course, the actor who plays Count Orlock. And that just filled me with joy the first time I saw it. And there are other non-horror movie things, we work the treehouse of horror into as many podcasts as humanly possible. Because it's awesome. It is awesome. And it's really in the, uh, the way that the shadow works behind Monty Burns when he is the Count, which is actually, obviously, it's more of a, a, a tribute to Coppola's Dracula, but that's where it started. And his hairdo. And his hairdo. <laughs> and then this is one of my favorite things, which I didn't realize for the longest time. Hey, boss! Can this little fella here take over my shift tonight? <laughs> You got the job, kids. It's a straw. I love this straw. Oh my god. 
But so, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the film, it's been around for such a long time. And it's one of those rare films that even though it disappeared, you know, immediately on its release, it was also considered a masterpiece from the first moment that it was shown. Right. And so it's not one of those movies like The Shining or, or you know, some of the others that, that really were not accepted at first and then grew to have this following. People recognized it for the brilliant film that it was right away. Um, so what we're going to do mainly is talk about the films that directly were homage the film or were inspired by the film. And the first one is Coppola's Dracula. An ageless myth meets an uncompromising master. Francis Ford Coppola brings an undying legend to life. Dracula. <laughs> Beware. Hard to believe that was 1992. But the cinematographer on this movie was uh, Michael Balhaus, and he uh, wrote an autobiography a few years ago, and he said that Francis Ford Coppola's main inspiration and main influence obviously was Murnau's 1922, Nosferatu, and uh, according to the cinematographer, he thinks this is the last great must-see movie by Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, I think that that's true, and I'm not sure how must-see it is, if I'm to be honest with you, although the cinematography is glorious. It is. And it's really, for me, I think that you can see uh, Murnau's influence mainly in the first act, which again, yeah. for me, is the best part of the movie. Um, I think that, you know, when they're, when they're still in Transylvania and he still looks like sort of somebody's weird grandma, um, but it's, it's the way that the shadow plays behind him and does things that he's not doing, which I think is clearly uh, an homage to the Nosferatu shadow in yep. the original film is such a is a character into itself. And I was just going to say, it's the first time anybody ever did that, but duh, it was 1922. And also, they take the first time that uh, he rises from the coffin is pretty much right out yeah. of uh, Nosferatu. Yeah, super fun. It's, I mean, it's, the movie has some flaws, mainly in the performances, honestly. If it was a silent film, it would have been gorgeous and perfect, but it's not, unfortunately, so... <laughs> So that is number five on our inspirations for Nosferatu. Moving up to number four, this one is a little bit different. Um, we'll go the comedy route from 2014. It is What We Do in the Shadows. When you get three vampires in a flat, obviously there's going to be a lot of tension. The trouble with being a vampire is you have to be invited in. Come into the bar, please. Will you invite us in? We need some fresh blood. Hi, my name is Nick. I've been a vampire for two months. Nick, oh. why don't you use the front door? You want to draw attention to this house, hmm? You've got a whole documentary crew following you around. You will not eat the camera guy, maybe one camera guy. When you're a vampire, you become very sexy. The writing and directing team here was the New Zealand duo of Jermaine Clement and Taika Watiti. And Watiti says that he based his performance on his mother, <laughs> while uh, Clement says he based his on Gary Oldman in the 1992 Dracula. And then, of course, Peter. Uh, was based on Nosferatu. This movie is hysterical. I know that the TV show is also great. We've only seen the one episode that Tilda Swinton is in. We don't get to watch much TV. But the, t the movie, I thought, was the most adorable thing. And one of the things I loved about it is how how all of the vampires really, they, they really pull from different types of vampires across the vampire lore. And so 
I was waiting because we don't meet Peter for like 20 minutes. And I was like, and then when we did, I thought just, I love that. Uh, if I bring a broom, <laughs> oh, it's a spinal column. It's hilarious. And I love that he doesn't, he doesn't really have any lines, but eventually he does show up. He's a decent flatmate for a minute. Um, but then he dies. So I don't think he's in the series, which makes me quite sad. Yeah, and they wrote, apparently they wrote about 150 pages of script, but it was mainly just broad strokes of outlines because it was heavily, heavily Im improvised, which if you watch the movie, that's really no surprise. No, it isn't. But still, anything that Jemaine Clement or Taika Waititi obviously do, we're 100% in. And I know that uh, one of the things that I love about, this is the first one of the influences we really get to have a good look at, at Nosferatu. Well, it was the first, obviously, big presentation of the sort of Dracula story. And most of, you know, it, it predates the Bela Lugosi by about 10 years. And then most of the ones after that follow that Bela Lugosi sort of seductive type of vampire. And then, and actually, it wasn't until the Christopher Lee version where we saw one that kind of resembles the actually the Dracula that's in the novel. But I love this kind of naked mole rat. You know, like there's nothing seductive about him. He's just like, ah, he's just terrifying. And, um, and I love that the teeth are in the front. Instead, like there's everything about him. He's just like so repellent uh, and, and so much scary, I think. And they say they, shot, they had so much improvisation going on, they apparently shot about over 100 hours of footage. <laughs> and it took over a year to edit it down to 90 minutes. So uh, we get to see some of those, some of those outtakes are probably ha just about as funny. <laughs> so we can move up, we'll move up to number three. Number three is from 1979, and this is of course based on the uh, Stephen King novel, director Toby Hooper's Salem's Lot. It's only all just happened since... Since I came here. The vampires are creating vampires. Hey, this thing is moving. Yeah, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Bill, Bill! Where are you, Sammy, darling? Mr. Bardo is on a buying trip, but the moment he arrives, you'll enjoy Mr. Bardo. Enjoy you. Now, originally, legendary horror director George Romero was approached to adapt this book, but at the same year, 1979, there was announcements of Warner Herzog's uh, Nosferatu the Vampire and John Badham's Dracula, so Warner Brothers decided to turn it into a TV miniseries, although it did have uh, later a theatrical release. And it was actually, I mean, it's for, for TV, this was scary. Yeah. You know, I mean, in 1979, I, I find it hilarious that somebody decided that Toby Hooper should be, Texas Chainsaw Massacre's Toby Hooper, let's get him to put something that's going to be on regular TV on a weeknight. <laughs> that is crazy to me. And it terrified people. And I love... You know, the great, super creepy James Mason. Like, we get so much James Mason before we actually see Mr. Barlow. And he just talks about him forever. You know, and if you hadn't read the book, and I had not read the book, you don't really know what you're in for. And then, but the whole time, James Mason, you're like, well, it can't be like this big, sort of seductive Eastern European. Like, we already had that kind of elegant creepiness in James Mason. And then all of a sudden, when all of the world saw this Mr. Barlow, it's like, ah! He was terrifying. And then, he of was, course, it stars David Soule. And, is that uh, Starsky and or I don't Hutch. know any, any Starsky and Hutch fans from when they were kids? Yeah, just me. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I was a big fan. 
of Starsky and Hutch. So Which I was one all was into he? this. He was Hutch. He was Hutch. Yeah, he was Hutch. He was and of course, Hutch. and one of the iconic moments from this, of course, is the floating yeah. outside the window. And they did that. Not, they filmed it in reverse to give it that ex extra eerie quality, which it always does. And instead of wires, they used they put them on a boom on a boom crane. <laughs> but but that is I think those two things and the the face of the the monster and then the floating outside the window are yeah. always thought of with this. Yeah, those two and then the guy in the in the rocking chair. Oh yeah, yeah, he was super creepy as well. It's a good. It's, I mean, it's it, when, if you watch it now, it's pretty dated. It's you're like, oh, this is very 1979 on TV. But still, it has some very spooky moments. Yeah, and then when they did re-edit it for the theatrical release, they added a, f a little bit more gore mm. uh, to it to get it in the movies. But I think you're right. Back at, back then for for TV. It was pretty scary. Yeah. And, and getting somebody like Toby Hooper, that was a good stroke there for 1979, number three, Salem's Lot, both the miniseries and the theatrical version, heavily influenced by Nosferatu. So uh, moving up to number two, well, we just mentioned this, also from 1979. This is Warner Herzog's Nosferatu, the Vampire. Gefluchtes Vampirs Nosferatu. Generally speaking, when there's just an absolute masterpiece of a film, and then you get wind of like a remake, you think, oh God, please don't. And then it's like Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski. You're like, oh, I can totally see that. Yeah, I buy that. <laughs> and, um, and I do think that it's a remarkable, faithful, beautiful adaptation, even to the degree that, I mean, the score in this movie is so unsettling and it's just such eerie perfection. It feels to me like an ode to the idea that when you saw it in the first place, there would have been live accompaniment. There would have been, I yeah. mean, it, I think it really, um, I mean, it really embraces the idea of orchestral accompaniment to this film. It's so, the score is such a hypnotic part of this. And the cinematography as well. I mean, it's just spooky and amazing. And Klaus Kinski, I mean, it's hard to imagine an actor who's, who manages so effortlessly to be as creepy and sort of insect-like as Max Schreck was. But he was, he's perfect. He's perfect in this movie. They make some, he makes some, uh, uh, Herzog makes some minor changes to the storyline itself and introduces some ideas that other films have picked up on since that I think are, it's funny that I'm like, it's 45 years old. I'm worried about spoilers. But I am, because maybe you haven't seen it, and you absolutely must. But I really like the way that he changed the storyline just briefly. But of course, like Max Schreck, uh, the Klaus Kinski character, he dies because he's lured to stay long enough for the sun to come up. And I bring this up because that, that is not what happens in the novel. So, so Nosferatu, this film, that's, this is the film that introduced that idea into vampire lore, which obviously just became accepted lore. I mean, that's how you kill vampires in any number of movies, from Universal through Fright Night through, mm -hmm. I mean, all the way through. So I, I always think it's really interesting when you, when you kind of go through the catalog of vampire movies and see what it is that they introduced that now you just accept as being a necessary part of how to deal with a vampire. And that was, that was a big one. Yeah, and that's why it's always interesting when you find a film that breaks those conventions yeah. and decides to make their own. But Warner Herzog has said in a couple interviews that he views 
the original Nosferatu that we're about to see as the greatest German film of all time. So you can Ooh. you can feel the sort of reverence he has for that. For sure. Even though, if you believe the stories, he and Klaus Kinski fought all the time <laughs> on the set. Uh, on all the sets, on, all on the every set. set. <laughs> <laughs> and Klaus Kinski had to endure about four hours of makeup a day uh, but but he said at the time that he thought the role was so worth it, mm -hmm. and I think the as you can see the the uh, what they get out of it was so worth it. And also, if you've seen the film, you know there are some really interesting slow motion shots of a bat. And if you're wondering how hard they were to film, they weren't because Herzog got them from a scientific documentary uh, and just <laughs> and just put them into the film, which made it pretty easy. I did not know that. That's an excellent piece of trivia. <laughs> So that is number two, a Nosferatu the Vampire from the late 70s. Late 70s, good stuff. Good stuff there. Uh, so that takes us up to the number one film on our list. And if you've seen it, you were probably guessing from the beginning. From 2000, Shadow of the Vampire. Meet Count Orlok. I'd like some makeup. Well, you don't get him. What is the matter with you? Where did you find him, really? Academy Award nominees John Malkovich. I will finish my picture! And Willem Dafoe. This is hardly your picture any longer. Shadow of the Vampire. How dare you destroy my photographer! Why not the script girl? I'll eat her later. So long before the Blair Witch Project and their viral campaign, there was an urban legend went along with this original movie, Nosferatu, that Max Schreck wasn't an actor, he was actually a vampire. And that's what this movie plays upon. <laughs> this is the most fun movie ever. It's such, a, it's such an incredible movie, movie for fans of the original film. By the way, I would just like to say, if you haven't noticed my dress, I am a fan of the original film. What? You're not, you are not eligible to win the contest, I'm sorry. <sighs> Damn it. Willem Dafoe is just such utter comic perfection in this movie. But it's such an incredibly brilliant concept for this movie. And, but it's not just, I mean, the execution from top to bottom is, is just outstanding. Eddie Izzard is perfect. Uh, John Malkovich is perfect. The whole cast is just stocked Udo with Kier. The, Udo Kier. I love Udo Kier so much. <laughs> and I feel like... I feel like a movie that homages Nosferatu has to, you just have to pack the cast, which is as many just like cinematic weirdos as you can get. And there's no better cinematic weirdo than Udo Kier. He was, every, everything about this movie is just, it's hilarious, it's dark, it's incredibly clever, and the execution is spot on. If yeah. you haven't seen this, oh my God, please do. And Defoe is so great. He got nominated for an Academy Award. His, his makeup is fantastic. His look is great, and it, it, yeah, it plays upon that legend that grew out of the, uh, Nosferatu, the first film, and about Max Schreck, and all sort of rumors flew at the time that, this, that Nosferatu was his only film he ever made, which is not true. No. He was already a stage and screen uh, veteran, and he did many non-vampire roles after this. <laughs> but, you know, when a legend gets going, and that's what this movie has so much fun with. And as you can tell by the trailer, if you haven't seen it, it's also funny. It is really funny. And I love that I love that Nicolas Cage was a producer, which I, I don't know if I knew at the time. I didn't. It was the first film that he uh, produced. That was that's really funny because of course he's going to be Dracula in an upcoming film, and you know that Robert Eggers, brilliant filmmaker that he is, he's remaking. That's the one he's just casting right now. So he's also remaking Nosferatu. He's supposed to come out I think in two years. Yeah. Um, so he has not done a bad movie yet. If anybody was going to remake it well, I think it could be him. 
Yeah, and that, and if I remember right, this this movie, Shadow of the Vampire, is not very long. It doesn't have a very long running time, and there but there was a deleted, a very interesting deleted subplot that involves Renault's cabaret performer, a lover, revealed to be the one who inspired him to make Nosferatu and the vampire who created Max Shrek. So that would I know, it, it seems I wish funny. They would, we would get a director's cut with all of that. Maybe I would love to could. see that. Maybe we could. It was interesting they deleted that because, like I say, I don't think the running time is very much at all on that no. movie, but if it just didn't add anything to, uh, to the movie, it is uh, pretty perfect the way it is. It is pretty perfect. But I'd be interested in seeing how they, how they work that out. But yeah, that is for sure our, our number one on the list of films inspired by the one we're going to see tonight. Nosferatu from 1922, celebrating its 100th anniversary. If you would like to, please feel invited to join us. We do one of these live events every month at Gateway Film Center. We talk about whatever our topic is, and then we show one of the films that we talk about. So this coming, the, on the 11th, we're going to talk about Conjuring's Gone Wrong, and then we're going to show a film that represents that, and it's called Deathgasm, and it's really, really funny. And then, uh, but we do, we do it the second Friday of every month. Uh, have a little happy hour. We do a podcast just like this. We show one of the movies. Sometimes it's more than a little happy hour. <laughs> and then, sometimes it's a really happy hour. <laughs> and then sometimes the, the podcast gets really happy. But uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun and great community as well, so we'd love to have you. And you can always find the, uh, all the info on, uh, you can follow us on, on Facebook. We're Mad Wolf Columbus, and all the main website is madwolf.com as well. So uh, we keep the Fright Club going all year long. That's right. Thank you so much. We really appreciate Bexley uh, Public Library having us out. And we're thank super excited much. to watch Nosferatu and to listen to Alex Burgoyne Quartet. And thank you to everyone who uh, got into the costume contest. We'll be announcing those uh, that winner here a little bit later. But, yes, thank you again. Enjoy the Alex Burgoyne Quartet as we enjoy the original Nosferatu. Thanks again. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And stay frightful, my friends.